Give me some. Oh, yes, boy, you've got to enjoy that. It's McKenzie's face again. Gets the pass away for Lamb. Oh, welcome along to the All Blacks podcast, proudly brought to you by Vodafone with the official Potty Band 660. Absolutely has to get to it. Uh, Jay Reeve, your host today, joined by Ant Needle. That's correct. Uh, it's, it was a niggly one to pronounce. I wanted to double check that because no, it's been well, said a, yeah. a, million of, a million and one different ways. No, you've done it well uh, there, Jay Reef. It's pronounced correctly. Actually, surprised I'm still here. Uh, you know, the last 48 hours been crook, Gus, wrapped around the porcelain. But oh. uh, I knew that I was going to get a bit of laughing medicine this morning in the form of Angus Tarvel. Yes, welcome was gonna, to the yeah. show. Angus Tarvel, thank you very much for joining us, kind sir. Yeah, absolute pleasure to be here, lads. Great, great checker. Oh, tracker, should yeah. I say. <laughs> To warm us into it. I don't know if we'll get too good laughs. I'm sort of a bit of a, I'm not a great storyteller. I sort of talk a bit more, a bit more, you know. Mate, the, I would I would beg to differ, and I think that's one of the things, and that's why Ant was so keen to get you in the mix. So we've been trying to hunt you down for quite some time because I guess within uh, the rugby fraternity, you've really started to carve out a, a niche for yourself as the person that is the go-to in terms of front-footing a whole bunch of the media. Is that something that, before we get into it, is that something that's sort of on the horizon post-code with so, much, so many more years and so many more minutes left in the carcass? It's definitely something that's at the back of my mind, obviously, I want to be a rug, you know rug, rugby player while I can, um, but I suppose this year being injured quite a lot, uh, missing quite a lot of the year, was a chance for me to sort of put my foot in the door at, at um, you know at Sky and and jump on the mic a little bit, see if I liked it first of all, uh, see if I enjoyed it, and second of all, see if I was any good at it. Um, they kept asking me back, so must be doing something right. Gus, no, well, it's been there, it's been in your blood for for years, mate. I remember when I started at the Blues, uh, horrible start there as the MC in 2015. That's when I actually met you, but you were running a cutter there. And you're very funny, mate. And then you make the ABs, what, 2018. And you're still the funny guy. There was that video going around social media. You guys are having your all-black photo. Um, I think you guys were giving, uh, well, it was last year, you are giving a, a nice message to the black caps, and you were just appealing at the, the bottom of your lungs. Talk us through that, mate. Like, you've come into <laughs> one of the biggest brands in the world, and you're just showing your true colour straight up. I, well, I suppose I've, I've come in a bit later, like I'm a bit older. Uh, so when I debuted, I was 28. You know, a lot of the guys are younger. I was still nervous, like I was like first day at school. Um, but I went in there thinking, man, I'm just going to be myself. Uh, I've tried, you know, being like real serious and uh, doing all, all this different stuff that a lot of people say you should do. But I figured out um, probably a bit later, like, you know, the, the, the way I play the best is, is being myself, having fun, being serious when I need to. But, but uh, you know, when there's a chance to have a laugh, why not? So when we did that uh, video for the Black Caps, um, at, at school, you know, you, you always mug around like, always, ah, <laughs> always playing cricket. And I'm terrible at cricket, by the way. I played for like the third 11. Yeah. Every night I hit a couple of sixes, then bowled. But <laughs> a couple of guys, you know, the big swing, no ding sort of set up. So um, <laughs> when, when we're there and, and, you know, I think Shag and uh, Rita said their message and then they just said, give them some energy. I'm all about the energy, you know, so I'm at the back just. <laughs> and you and Brad Webber work quite well as a little combo because he was there on the front dog, you know, playing blindly. <laughs> Um, and he's a he's another example of a person in the rugby circles who's just being himself. Yeah, and I think he understands that as well. Like, you know, we're, we're people. Like, uh, we try not to be robots. And, and he's sort of like he's an older player as well, so he's been through a lot of things and understands how how everything works. And you know, I think why he started his podcast was to you know avoid sort of what the media how they portray you and, and portray us as who yeah. we are. So. Um, he's a good lad. Um, love, got a lot of time for a little Spud, a little Brad Weber. Hey, take us back. You mentioned uh, you mentioned at school you weren't that great at at cricket. At what point did you really start sort of sharpening the sprigs on the concrete and and say that footy is a career and a, and a path that you were wanting to head down? I mean, obviously every single person sitting in this room at one stage <laughs> was like, I want to be an All Black, and clearly uh, for two of us that was never going to happen. But for you, it did. At what point did you start to to really put your sights on that black jersey? Yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, going back to my initial memories, probably why I played was uh, um, running out for Ponsonby Ponies. I get a quarter pounder uh, after the game. So, <laughs> was so, that for MVP or was that? <laughs> no, that was just mum saying, hey, well done. So, <laughs> so that was the, the real highlight. That was my drive early on. Um, <laughs> but as I got to school, um, you sort of got picked up and I went to Dilworth, which is at the time we were a B-grade school. Um, and it was, you know, you're pretty lucky to get out of, out of B-grade and make Auckland teams and you sort of figure out once you once you're in the system, it's a lot easier to, to keep working your way up. So, I sort of got um, picked out from Jeff Moon, um, who was a legend of Auckland rugby, passed away, and he sent me into sort of under 15s, under 16 Auckland in the system. And then 
you know, started making those teams and just the brotherhood having fun, getting out there. And I was quite a chubby kid. That's why I'm a prop. And I sort of went up and came in, but always thought I'd you know, have some razzle, some skills and that sort of thing. So probably from there, school, um, Definitely something I was keen on. Was you mentioned it? Mooney. Sorry to chop in. You mentioned Mooney, and we had Kevin Mialamu on last week, and he he mentioned him as well. And he's he's a formative figure, and a lot of people's and a lot of footy players' uh, careers, I guess. What was it about him that that enabled him to see that talent? Like he he picked it better than most. I think he just understood it, and he he got like he came to do it like a B grade school. You know, we were sort of, we, we made the, f- the final, the B grade a couple of years, but before that, you know, we were sort of just a low-key school. We were in a big, big product. We don't, you know, we don't sort of uh, poach players in there and that sort of thing. So, um, <laughs> but like, you know, he... Not pointing any fingers. Say <laughs> yeah. so Ken's boy over here. <laughs> so, he really understood, and I think, um, you know, where some talent talent was. And obviously, he'd been around a lot. Uh, he, the way he interacted with the kids, he could sort of figure out who was real, who was who was a bit fake and who would work hard and, and sort of earn their spot. So, um, yeah, he's, I mean, he'd have a massive influence on a lot of rugby players in Auckland rugby. Actually, you know, I ended my career deal with, mate, uh, in front of a packed crowd there. I think it was a curtain raiser for your first 15. Actually, had a missus there. I know it's not about me, but had a missus there <laughs> watching me. Oh, no, tell us more about <laughs> you and the All Black podcast, <laughs> yeah, I please. T- <laughs> I took a, a quick tap and got folded like origami, stretched it off, and that was the end of it. You guys were a very proud school. But, who mate, d- who are the other contemporaries that have sort of come out of there that people would know? I know that... Uh, Finn uh, Hoyata is, is another product of Dilworth as well. They seem to they seem to be on the up. Yeah, yeah. It's probably to be fair. There hasn't been um, a, like James Arledge. He was a bit before my time. He played for Japan and the Blues. Uh, Tony Pulu. He's uh, currently well, he was with Brumbies this year. Played a lot a lot at the Chiefs. Um, Inga Finau. He's uh, he's coming through. He's with Auckland at the moment. Spent a little bit of time down in, in Christchurch. But yeah, I mean. The, the way the way that school operates uh, to give guys opportunities to sort sort of get away and and you know, opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise um, has been, would be pretty awesome. So I'd, I'd imagine there'll be some more players coming through. They're, they're in A grade, you know, for a school of three hundred. Yeah. Um, they're punching well above their weight, and they're sort of they haven't looked like they're going to be relegated. So I'm sure we'll see some more Dilworthians come through. Yeah, you get in, you get into that fold and into that Auckland. I mean, obviously, there's a large number of players and there's a large number of front rows. There is a large number of big bodies that this region produces. How how did it take so long for you? I guess in terms of like you said, at 28, that's that's when you 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 slid into a black jersey. What was the gap between? That's a, that's almost a 10 year gap out of out of high school. What would what did that decade entail for you? What was the path to that jersey? Oh, because you were you were you were in the mixer with a lot. There were some big names that were not going to be going anywhere in a hurry. Yeah, I mean, I suppose coming out, um, you know, you dream of playing for Auckland and made Auckland. And you see these Blues players walking around. You're like, fire out! Like these guys are <laughs> gods. And next thing, you're a Blues player, and then obviously All Blacks is the next step. And I sort of, you know, I was always aspiring to to get up to there. And uh, early on, um, I don't know, I don't know more. I mean, not didn't think I was too you know hotter than I thought than I actually was, but um, just a lot of things that I needed to to sort out with my body. Um, probably didn't take that too seriously. Still on um, the quarter pounder diet? <laughs> not as much, actually. I don't I don't eat macas for a long time. Um, I think maybe I was scarred when I was younger. I was like oh, McDonald's, um, but yeah, I suppose uh, I had troubles with my back uh, when I was when I was younger and did all this stuff, and it probably took me to go away from New Zealand. Um, so obviously I went to New South Wales, uh, Waratahs in 2016, sort of 25 at the time. Uh, hadn't really had a crack at ABs or... or what, what was the thought process in behind that? Did you just go, I'm, I'm in behind a large number of, of heavily, heavily, heavily capped ABs and there, was just, there just seemed to be no shortage of incredible front rowers on a world-class sort of standard. You just go... Well, obviously, I had the opportunity through my parents to be able to play for not only Samoa but Australia as well. Was there ever a thought of if I, maybe I just go for that? Maybe I go for the green and gold. But it also started like you started twenty twelve. You go straight into the Auckland Blues, Gussie, and there's some notable names there. You know, you got Kevy, you got Joe Rokathoko, who was obviously poached to St Kent's back in the day there. But you guys were getting coached by Pat Lamb. You guys were already on the back foot. You know, you guys weren't playing good code at all. And here you are starting your professional career. How, you know, were you thinking to yourself, how do I actually go go forward here when our team's not going well? I think, you know, we, we weren't going well, but it was the pride and, and 
um, I suppose, passion of, of being a blues player. Like, I was, I'm an Auckland boy. I lived a bit in Raglan and a little bit in Samoa, but I'd say I'm an Auckland boy, born and bred. So, although we weren't going well, it was, it was just unreal to, to be able to pull on the blues jersey and um, mix with, you know, like, and I remember being back at school and like, rock a thoco, like, you know, like trying to do gooseys <laughs> and freaking offloads and all this stuff. Didn't, I wasn't doing it, but, you know, I was trying to. Um, so I suppose for me, it was just the buzz of, I'm, I'm a super rugby player. I'm, I'm getting to, to train and, and get better with these guys. And, you know, Tony Woodcock, John Afoa, Charlie Famuina, Kevin Mialamu, all these, like, legends in the front row. Um, I mean, I, I look back at that team and I'm just like, how, how, like, how did we not do better? Um, you know, there's a lot of factors that would probably come into it. But I suppose leading back to your question, Jay, is like, after, I think, five years, I was wider squad in 2011. Uh, 2015 was my last year at Blues. And it sort of just felt like I was just, I wasn't really, I wasn't going up, I wasn't sort of going down, I was just sort of stagnating. Um, had moved down to Taranaki, which was uh, one of the best moves of my life, and that you sort of helped me jump, but at the next levels, I wasn't really going anywhere, and um, my mum's from Australia, born in Geelong, sort of raised in Melbourne, so I've got aunties and family in Melbourne, um, and my dad's from Samoa, uh, so they moved over in the... I was going to say 50s, but I think they were born in the 50s. <laughs> you might be going, what? <laughs> yeah, my bad. Um, but, but yeah, they moved over in their 20s, I should say. And when they were in their 20s to Wellington, met, da da da, had me and my brother. So I thought, I don't know if this sounds bad, but I had the succession plans. So I was like, all right, I want to be all black. That's, that's my goal. That's my dream. Get to 25, I'm thinking, all right, maybe this isn't going to work out. Like, am I going to stick around and. Um, It'd be, had this regret, I've had a good crack, had four, four good years playing, you know, s some good rugby, um, so I'll try and go for Australia. So that's why I went to the uh, Waratahs. So was that the thought process in behind it, yep. that you'd, you'd hung up any thought of getting into a black jersey and now it's time to go? Because I guess when you're making that decision, you're going through the process and you're having those conversations with those, those people around you. How, I mean, how tough is that and, and where does that leave you upstairs? Yeah, not easy. Uh, and I, you know, I talked to my, my family were, you know, they're big influences and, uh, try and talk to them about, about those decisions. Uh, you know, my wife, she was my partner at the time, but, um, just talking to them and, and sort of understanding. And I sort of thought, you know, like, I, like I said, I could stick around here and, and just try and have a real good crack or do I go over to this, you know, a possible opportunity in Australia. Um, you know, I feel like I've had four, four good years here and nothing's sort of come about it, but if I stay here, am I going to regret regret not going like the what if yeah. um so yeah 25 had never been in a all black camp or anything like that so i thought um you know I, i'm pretty pretty happy with, with with what i've tried to do here and um now i'll, I'll head over the ditch and and have a crack what um, was that like mate different like because obviously you've been playing for the blues completely different culture shift as well like yeah i know you've sort of coaxed yourself into getting a, a blonde mop as well to fit in and look cool as well in sydney but yeah, well, so, <laughs> how did that go to down like a yeah well i mean there's, there's the blues boys they're floating around with the old <laughs> the diet here at the moment but yeah back, Robbins. In, back in 2015 i you know i thought i'd get the bondi you know the bondi surfer <laughs> I, I actually contemplated um you got a surfer's rig <laughs> oh terrible <laughs> sloppy and terrible surfer as well scared of the open water i'll put that out there yeah. Lived in Raglan, never surfed. Loved the water, but not the deep stuff. Um, but yeah, like I dyed my hair, contemplated cutting it, but I was like, oh, I'll embrace it when I went yeah. over there. Um, and I lived in sort of Coogee, Ramwick area. Lifestyle was, was awesome. Um, but yeah, the rugby was, was a bit different. Uh, and, and it almost, in a funny way, reminded me of the Blues because we had such a great team, but we, we just underperformed. Um, like, you know, I didn't make my first playoffs of Super Rugby until I, my first year at the Chiefs. So that was like, yeah. you know, seven, eight years of Super Rugby, never making playoffs, and you're seeing, you know, Crusaders winning it and, and all these other teams. But then I look around the talent and I'm just like, far out. Is it, like, is it me? Am I, am I the, the common denominator here that's making, you know, this, this sort of thing? But um, looking back, back on it, I just feel like it was like just part of, it was almost like, I don't want to sound like cheesy or anything, but it was like, that was my my journey, my yep. path. Like it was it was meant to be, and it and it sort of got me to where I am now. What are those disparities between the New Zealand code and the and the sort of the style of code that we play? Because obviously now with the the transfer of players and the transfer of coaches and the transfer of knowledge that you'd you'd kind of hope because they're under the pump as a union uh, that 
there could be a closing of the gap. Did you was it that evident when you were over there? Because it wasn't really long after the halcyon days of Australian rugby that you turned up. Mm. Yeah, I, I just found the pathway in New Zealand was a lot clearer and um, a lot easier to navigate uh, versus the Australian sort of setup. And I, I mean, I was in New South Wales, so I can't necessarily speak for every other uh, state, but I'm pretty sure most of them were similar, especially Queensland. And even like saying at school, um, you know, there's really steeped in tradition. So they'll sort of have, um, you know, a group of schools, probably predominantly private schools playing in a tournament here. You have in the same cities, like let's say Sydney, um, you know, this, this group of schools will be playing each other. Some public schools will be playing, but they'll never sort of cross over. So, you know, in, in Auckland, I, I just picked that as a prime example. You've got your, your A grade, your top schools, you've got your B grade, and you can get into the A grade and everyone's playing everyone. Obviously around you've got Super 8, but that's just because of numbers. But if you're in a big city, so I just feel like if you want the, the best talent to be shown, you need a, a strong competition at schoolboy rugby where it's everyone playing everyone. Because I look at a guy like Will Skelton, good mates with him, great lad, funny. Um, you think, you think he's, he's big. Oh, he's a big boy. <laughs> but, you, you know, you look at, like, when I went over, you have these preconceived ideas. You're like, oh, he's probably going to be a prick, you know, yeah. like, tries to bully. But he's just like me. He just loves to have a laugh. He's a big, big teddy. Um, big clown but like he was at a public school and I th- he was saying like they were one of the best schools in Sydney but they never got a chance to play some of the other better schools in Sydney just because of tradition oh. so I feel like that would be a good start just to break those things away and, and try and really get the schoolboy level going you know because that's the next the next level and then obviously we've got Mitre 10 Cup which is a great setup. Um, and I know you know it's probably at the time where uh, money's coming into it and, and it's how sustainable is it but I feel like it's so important for how good New Zealand rugby is because it's a chance for players who have never been in a professional yeah. environment for three months to come in and, and be coached be in, be in Monday to Sunday be able to become better rugby players whereas NRC and uh, Aussie it's still just like club like you've got you're better it's better because you've got all the best club players playing but you've still got tradies going to work Tuesday and coming to training Tuesday, Thursday Unreal, night though. and then playing Saturday so like they, they can't fully focus on becoming better rugby players, which creates that base for the next level of Super Rugby and which only leads on to a better, you know, well, Wallabies team for them. Yeah. Mm. So what brings you back to New Zealand then? At what point do you, do you uh, say, now it's, time to, now it's time to come home, I'm done with the blonde hair, uh, the surfing's not working out for me, and uh, it's time to return home? Well, you actually, had, you had your kid over in Australia. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, that, and that, was the, like, that was the biggest thing. So uh, me and my partner, we had our son, and he was born with a genetic disorder. So his first two weeks were in ICU in uh, Ramwick uh, Children's Hospital. Shout outs to them. They, Aren't they, they just incredible? Awesome. Oh, it was it was awesome. They uh, dealt with everything really well. We were always very comfortable um, in the work they did there and, and sort of helping us through like this crazy time. Because um, we didn't, you was know. Was it a surprise? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, we, we had no idea. Even when he was born, we, we had no idea. He sort of went straight into ICU. They sent bloods away, and we didn't find out till two weeks later wow. what what had actually happened. So you know we're we're just dealing with all this stuff as as it's coming. Two weeks in ICU, sleeping in the in the I was going to say the hotel, it's not a <laughs> <laughs> sleeping in, in the, the hospital. hospital. Yeah, um, our sons, you know, he's like got these pictures of he's all wired up. He's on drugs, um, and then two weeks later we get this news that just like rocks us. Um, yeah, and that was like a big sort of thing. I, I didn't get extended at the Waratahs, so it's like one one of these weird things where just like was meant to happen. So I, sorry, I'm just going to go back a little bit. I broke my leg um, playing for NRC, and my son was born in January, end of January. Um, so I broke my leg at the end of the year, and I think when he was born, I, I, if I was playing, I was going to, I would have been going to Africa for two weeks. So. Like it just was just this weird sort of thing. Like I'm I'm able to be at home, um, be around my wife and and our newborn son who who was going through all this all this drama and, and trouble and yeah we found out he had a genetic disorder. I didn't get uh, extended at the Tars and probably if if he wasn't there we'd be like all right we'll just go to Europe you know we'll we'll try yeah, and yeah. we'll get a gig somewhere overseas and it'll be sweet. But it was like um, hit up the agent. Is there anything at, in New Zealand? Is there a Super Rugby? any spots and they were like uh, no no one's keen um, but Taranaki they're, they're keen to have you back How special was that connection because obviously you're in Auckland there's something there's something about Taranaki I grew up in Taranaki and there is just something about that that union mm. 
that can, for whatever reason, just pull people together. I mean, uh, Tupo is a, is, a, is a classic example yeah, of somebody yeah. that's sort of really been shaped into an incredible All Black through that through that union. It's a proud union. It's always been the classic battler. It's never really been stacked with superstars until Smiley really started getting into his work. <laughs> Jesus, opened really, up a stud farm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well. things up. So what is, what, you know, the choice, the chance to go back there, it's not probably everyone's first choice, but what a spot. I mean, like, as much as I love Auckland and playing uh, for Auckland and, and the Blue and White Hoops, uh, being down in Taranaki, that was some of my best years, and um, it, it was an easy decision when uh, coming back to New Zealand and Taranaki were like, you know, we're keen to have you down. And I think uh, definitely Colin Cooper was a massive uh, influence. Um, Willie Rickards, massive influence. And I suppose going, being a big city boy um, and then going down to Taranaki and ev- everywhere's like, you know, five minutes, five, ten minutes max, you, you know, you're out of town, ten minutes. Yeah. Um, connections were, were really strong. The boys were, you know, you could catch up easily. Um, man, the mountain, the maunga. Yeah. Like, honestly, like we tra- our training ground, you, you'd see it and – I don't know. I was like a buzzy dude, but I'd honestly look at the mountain and be like, like it would get like it would get me like we walked up to the ski field and I just remember standing under the mountain. I'm like far out. Like this is like powerful stuff. And you got you got the beach. You know, it's all these awesome things down there that you can just get away from rugby. But then when you come back and connect, the lads just probably like you said, like a lot of guys who aren't superstars, but they're just grown up like grafting and grinding and and working hard together. And I think you you know you really earn respect with each other. So coming back to that was, um, yeah, I mean, that was a pretty easy decision. Gus, talk us about that, that transition from having no contract. You're 25 years old, I think you are. You, you have your kid, who's a bit crook, and you, that uncertainty of not having a playing career and someone gives you that, that lifeline in Colin Cooper. How important is it to have a, a network of great family and friends in, in that time? Because as a rugby player, when it, you know, you take it for granted that it's your bread and butter having a rugby contract, but it's also scary times not knowing that, you know, you've got a sick son, you've got a wife who's looking after the son, and you also don't have an income. How hard was that? Yeah, I suppose, like, that was a, like, really open my eyes because, you know, prior to that, I'd sign a contract for a couple of years. Sweet. You know, no dramas play. That two years would come up, sign another contract, sign another contract. You get to the stage where it's like, frick, I actually don't have, you know, I don't have any security. I don't have a contract for the next two years. And I suppose coming back to New Zealand, I was like, all right, we'll just, we'll get back um, around our family, uh, and that you know that was a big big motivation to come back because obviously with our yeah with our son and, and being back around family and then Taranaki had that lifeline and you know in my in my head I was like I'm definitely not done with rugby because I I know I've still got a lot to give I know I'm I, the player I can be and and you know how how good I can be it was just a a, a matter of coming home uh, being around family making sure our son was was safe uh, doing everything we could for him um, you know to make sure he was comfortable and then. Just trying to play some good minor team cup rugby and earn a earn a spot, uh, you know, with a Super Rugby team. It sort of worked out in a different sort of way because yeah. I I felt like I was one of the best t- tight heads in that minor team cup that season. We had a pretty good year. Um, Taranaki, I think we took the shield off um, Canterbury. Uh, I think yeah. Just yeah. sorry, just a side tangent. I remember. I think we were down. <laughs> How good. Please, please shine, please shine light on it. Well, and like, and the night. You know, we were down thirty-one-seven. I, I think I was captaining because uh, Charlie Ngatai was was out. And you, you know, you're sort of under the sticks. You're like, what do I say to the boys here? But, um, <laughs> and I'm just say, please don't hit someone home. <laughs> and and you know, I remember the boys back at, at home at Crowded House. Uh, I think they had like a lot of them had left and gone home, and everyone at the pubs had gone home. And then, you know, they turned the TV on at home. If what the heck's going on? You know, and we ended up winning it and, and taking it back. Um, that that tangent just lost me where I was going. Um, I think you're talking about the three-day celebrations. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's that's what that's what uh, lost my mind. Um, I'm actually. No, the, the, this, I guess it would be the, the focus on that would be the fact. That the, I, should, I knew I shouldn't have gone on that side tangent. <laughs> the lifeline that you're throwing by Taranaki. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I suppose just to get back there and yeah, now I know where I'm going. Um, seeing how that year, I, I sort of felt like I deserved a, a Super Rugby contract. It, it didn't work out. Um, but my old mate, Colin Cooper, headed up to the Chiefs, repl- replacement player, funnily enough, um, replacing like the All Blacks who were on rest. Because there were so a couple of injuries, wasn't there? Well, it was initially, it was only um, I was in there for preseason because, yeah. you know, the All Blacks, they finish their end of year tour and they, they get a big break. They come in later in preseason. So I was literally there pre Christmas, maybe a little bit after Christmas. And then 
see what happens. Um, and then there were some injuries stuck in there. And then uh, Nepal Lalala uh, got injured. Yeah. And then, yeah, I played the whole year. Unreal. Um, and then debuted for the ABs later, you know, later that. You mean you, you brushed over that pretty quickly, but uh, <laughs> like you said, you've, you've got a, a, I guess the journey that you're on to be that buzzy guy. Uh, it, was, it was very fortuitous and everything seemed to sort of happen for a reason at the time that it was supposed to happen. Did you, obviously going in there, do you think being injury cover that, that same year you're going to be sliding into an AB's jumper? And when, did, that, did it happen out of the blue? What was the call? How did, how did you get made aware of the fact that you were going to be brought into the fold? I did like a... That uh, Super Rugby season, um, I think Chiefs were one of the best scrums in the comp. Obviously, me and my other mate, uh, Carl Tuinukuafe, yeah. um, at one point, all four props were replacement players, you know, covering injuries. Um, so we had, I had, felt like I had a really good year, sort of was playing uh, almost 80 minutes every week, probably the best footy I've ever played in my life, and sort of thought, oh, you know, maybe, um, you know, I might, might get a little, little, little call up or, or something and and at the end of super rugby season that didn't happen and i was like oh, oh you know I'm, I'm actually content i'm happy like I've, I've given everything i can now i'm gonna i was captaining uh taranaki now's a chance for me to to go down there and, and just really have fun and brace my to 10 cup and, and play some more good footy like totally like didn't wasn't thinking about ab's at all um was just really happy to be down there and be able to lead a group of men that i love playing with and then uh so two games in um we had counties. Uh, I was getting ready, had a shower, was having a shower. Um, my old mate, Marty McKenzie, was coming to pick me up, take me to the airport, and I get out of the shower and I sort of have this uh, missed call on, on the phone. I'm like, what the hell? Well, you know what's going Who on phone's here? me? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what's this? It's not Swanee. It's not Marty, is it? And then um, I get a message and it's like, hey, it's uh, Darren Shan, the All Blacks manager. Um, call me back when you can. And I'm thinking... Is this a stitch up? And I was, it, had, it had like the <laughs> who, did, who would who would be the one stitching you up in that instance? You reckon? Oh, is there's no shortage of numbers. I don't know, Jimmy. Well, Jimmy Mars pretty good. He's he stitched me up. I was trying to buy a house one time, and and I lost the auction. And then he called me back and said, "Yeah, mate, you've actually got the house." And I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> and I, I look up, and Jimmy's up in the you know just cracking up. So yeah, like Jimmy would be one of them. But but then I thought, oh, it's it's a plus. You know, plus four or whatever is the the crushers. And I was like, the boys yeah. aren't boys aren't smart enough to, you know, <laughs> they're not going to go that deep to to try and get me. So I was like, I'll just give them a call, and then um, I'm just in, in the house by myself because um, my wife and and little boy are up in Auckland uh, with the family, and uh, call call up. I was like, yeah, good day, mate. It's uh, you know, it's Shandy here from the All Blacks. Um, about to make you a very happy man, and I was just like, honestly, like I get a goosebump just thinking about it. And he's like, yeah, you've you've been called into the All Blacks, and and like, what's the what's going through the body? What's the emotion? Who's the first pe- I, like, who's the first person that gets the call? What do you say? I, I honestly, I feel like crying right now. Like this, these were the emotions. It was just like, like everything we've been talking about, like this this journey and, and everything I've been through, like leaving New Zealand, uh, having my son coming back to New Zealand, all these what ifs. You know, do, do I have a contract to this point where it's like this is what you always wanted, um, and then. Uh, my wife was the first one. She got the first call. Uh, I was crying. I couldn't talk. Yeah. And I, she was like, "What's go, like? What's going on?" And I was like, ah, "Like trying to tell her." She's like, "Is it is it bad news?" Like thinking I'm trying to break up with her or something. I'm like, "No, no, it's good news." And then like, "Oh, I made the All Blacks." And then we were just like, "Like, oh, I don't know how long." Like crying. I was trying to get the tears out of my eyes. And then the next person I called was my mum. And I called her up. I was like, "Oh, mum, I got some good news." Like. I've, I've been caught up to the ABs, and she's like, oh, shut up. <laughs> hey, stop, <laughs> stop joking. And then I was literally like, mom, can you just, like, celebrate with me? Like, I'm, I'm trying to like, have this joyful moment. And then she's, like, thinking I'm just taking the piss. Uh, and then I called my brother, uh, and I've never heard the sound, like, sound come out of his mouth um, in my life. It was, I don't, I don't even think I can, like, re, redo it. It was like a, ah! or like, it was like, <laughs> It was like I almost wanted to laugh, but I was so emotional as well. So I was like, just what it meant for like our family. Like they all understood what I'd been through, uh, what I, you know, what I'd gone through, and then to get to this point where now I'm like fulfilling my dreams and and um, you know, or through them as well. Because if if it wasn't for them, I, you know, I wouldn't be um, where I was, or I wouldn't have gotten there. And um, I think we we start, I had still had to play counties, and he said go out and play like an All Blacks. It was my last my last game for Taranaki, and then yeah, 
from there went down into camp and the, yeah, the rest is history as is, they in, say. A, in a weird way Gus is it a sense of relief that you go to bed every night and this is all you're dreaming about you know like a lot of these footy players like their whole life and you go up and down up and down getting disappointment after disappointment and then you get you get the shot and it's just like a weight off your shoulders you're like well I'm actually getting my opportunity here yeah I mean for me it was always like I suppose yeah a, yeah, a sense of relief and, and a, I suppose achievement and and being in, in this place where you know your whole career that's where you've aspired to be uh, you know you've battled with other people there's been competition for people to get in there and there's only you know 31 35 spots or whatever it is and there's only about five or six props that get to be in there and um, I think like after I made my debut uh, it was just crazy to talk us through that debut. Yeah, well, it was it was in uh, it's more emotion. Oh, heavily. Uh, it was it was in Argentina. So uh, it was sort of during the rugby championship. I was called into, and you know, I was usually as the fifth prop. You you, you don't get up to much. You sort of uh, you do the extras, and yeah. the boys would do all the reps and the lineouts. And we get to Argentina, and I was sort of thinking like, oh, I wonder maybe I'll get a crack. Like the boys had won won all the games. Maybe I'll. I'll get a chance. I'm sort of standing there in the lineout session, and, and Mike Cron goes, "Yeah, Gus, get into a couple reps." First time I've ever been told to to yeah. start doing some lineouts. So I'm <laughs> thinking, "Oh, hello, like, am I maybe in for a shot?" And then the team gets named on Tuesday in um in the changing room before training, and uh, yeah, sure enough, number eighteen, Angus Tavell, and just you know, just this well of emotion. Just here's you know, I'm going to get an opportunity to to run out for my country, represent my family. And everything I've been through, um, and then the crazy rush after that was trying to see, you know, who who was going to because we're in Argentina. Yeah. Debut, you want family to be there, so it was this crazy rush to see, you know, who could come because Tuesday I think it's Wednesday night in New Zealand or Wednesday in New Zealand, so it's trying to figure out who can come over and and watch and sort of accepting like, all right, I think flights were like maybe three three grand or something per yeah, person. You're on the big bucks now, though. <laughs> <laughs> Whack it on the credit card and we'll sort that it's out not later. Bad. <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, th- thankfully enough, um, my cousin, his partner, uh, works for Air New Zealand, and she got half price flights. So, you beauty. Um, shout out to you, Sophie um, <laughs> and Rupert. And uh, my brother, my wife, my cousin, and his partner all came over. Um, and running out... Uh, can you that. still remember it? The, yeah, 100%. I'm trying to remember the name of the um, of the stadium. Uh, it's like a Malfi or, or something like that. Is that the one that's sort of wrapped around with yeah, the Yeah, it's like where the Hagiwaras yeah. play, and it's like a soccer soccer stadium, and um, you run out for, for warm-up, and my family was there all up and, yeah, like cheering, and I think they, they had bought like a whole bunch of New Zealand crew or something like that. Um, and then walking out, and you, you know, like the night before, I think a couple of nights before, me and, me and Shannon were with TJ, uh, and Tim Perry actually, and we're just going through a hucker, like making sure you know we we didn't muck it up because the last thing you want to be doing is going out there and you know you're trying to get hyped for the hucker and looking like a fool, not not surely, knowing. It. Surely not taking notes from Tim Perry, the pig hunter from <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, heck no, he's he's in there with me learning from TJ. TJ's TJ's the hey, Gus, This is how you do the poo hunter. <laughs> The pookie pigs. Man, <laughs> right? um, how much? How much pressure is on the shoulders with, to get that? Because I mean, it's one of those things you do as a kid, and you've been doing, you know, and you've done it in front of the television. You pretty much your whole life. Yeah. But no one ever gets it. Well, there's a very small percentage of the population that gets to do it on the big stage, and for it to actually count. Can you disconnect and be a part of it, or are you so conscious of the fact that you don't want to muck it up that you almost lose the moment? For me, when I got in there, like once it was on, man, it was on. Like um, TJ. One of the most, like, honestly, when he's calling and he's right in your ear, like, your blood's boiling, like, you're just pumped, like, ready to go. And then once it starts, I think it just takes over. You, you, you know, you just go and do it. And I think I've done a couple of pungo a couple of times and maybe mucked the old one up, but come out here, like, you know, you've grown up yeah. um, doing that. And uh, I suppose just just the feeling and, and building into it, you, you know, you're, you're in this all-black jersey, you've been presented this all-black jersey, it's got your name, it's got your, you know, your, your test, your, your number on okay. it, and uh, you're around this other bunch of men that, that are all in, it, in the same purpose, and you're representing New Zealand, and then you line up and, you know, you, or beforehand you do the anthem, and I was standing next to uh, 
big cow and and honestly I, I, while I'm singing I'm looking up and I'm thinking like man I'm, I want I'm like crying but I want to I just want to crack up because I'm like I'm actually here at, and with the All Blacks about to debut for for my country and I, honestly I was singing and I was laughing like you, you can ask Carl on that and I was like there was almost tears coming out but I just wanted to crack up um, just grateful for for where I was and, and where I'd come from and then yeah I think I got about 30 minutes um, against Argentina, uh, you know, felt felt like I played pretty well. Scrums went went all right, um, and then to have my family thereafter, oh, um, brilliant! Yeah, it was pretty special. How did you celebrate that with a kg steak and a cask of wine? <laughs> or was it? Yeah, a few few ribs. They didn't mind this their meat over there, eh? So um, we went back to the team room. We, the guitars were out. There was a yeah. bit of bit of red wine flowing, a bit of Malbec. Um, you know, there probably would have been Steinluggers, but you know, it's a, it's a fair bit of waste. <laughs> so, so how, how did you stay level-headed, you know, when you're playing your first test? Did you want to be too over-aroused for the occasion and start making mistakes and whatnot? Like, you guys are professional athletes. What kind of processes do you have to go through to make sure that you, you play well? Like, I think that the thing that I really love about the all-black environment is, like, everything's set up there for you to be the best possible version of yourself and the best rugby player you can be. Um, so through the week... If you nail your, your clarity, if you're really clear on what your role is, and, and the beauty of it is like you only need to worry about your role because you've got the best players in the world in each of, of their positions nailing their, their own role. So you don't need to worry about, oh, is he going to do his thing? Is, or do I need to cover for him? It's literally, what am I doing? What's my role? And I need to be clear so that come Saturday, I can just go out and, and I don't need to think about it. I just do it. Um, so the environment is, is awesome. The coaches are all there to help you. We have... You know, there's clarity sessions. There's sessions to to make sure you're over things. There's computers in the in the team room, but it's also a, a balanced environment. So it's you know they're they're well aware that if you just thrash yourself with rugby, you know you're going to be burnt out come Saturday. So it's times to to get away from footy and and just relax and get your mind off it. Uh, and then when you're back into work, you know you're working hard and, and you're really clear. So um, I suppose the beauty of it of it is you've got the best players who have been through a lot of things. You've got you know the best coaches and management who are there to help you to, to prepare and yeah like I said the environment is just set up for you to succeed you know if, if you sort of go in there and and take it for granted and, and don't take all that opportunities then you know you'd be a bit of a fool because it's it's not easy but it's like it's set up to help you yeah do you appreciate it more uh, being an older player do you think because obviously it's someone like Tupou who's going in there as a 19 or 20 year old uh, you're eight years down the track, you've got a whole lot more life experience under your belt, you've got a lot more, I guess, it's not just what car am I going to buy with all this cash that I've got and how much fun <laughs> is it going to be travelling around the world. It's like, this is this needs, this needs is a serious job and I need to you know make the most of this. Do you think that you appreciate it more being a, a slightly older bloke going into that fold? Yep, yeah, 100%. Like, uh, I, I definitely think... Um Although to be fair, you probably look back and be like, man, it would be good if I had this one. You know, <laughs> so, so for guys like Tupou and those young guys going through... Like for them to get in that environment and, and maybe pick up some things that are really going to elevate their game and take them to the next level will be awesome for them. And I'm sure we'll see that, um, you know, if they get a chance in, in these upcoming games and for, for the years to come. I almost think after watching him get named and how much I mean, it's in, in the exact same sort mm. of situation that you talked us through before, the emotion that goes through it, as soon as he got named as a part of that All Blacks team, when he went back and played for Taranaki, he was on another level again. Like, does that just. As soon as you have that belief in yourself and because somebody else has that belief in you, does it just make you feel a little bit bulletproof? Because after that debut, you went on to play some incredible, incredible games. And that self-belief coming from somebody else believing that you're good enough to be an all-black, does it elevate your game? Yep. And, and yeah, talking about Tupo, I mean, he's been playing awesome, eh, down in Taranaki. And I think he's really just owned that. You know, he's only, I mean, he's one of the first guys I played with that's born in the year 2000. Yeah. So, you know, like when I start seeing that, I'm like, I'm born, I'm born in 1990 and these young kids are starting calling me old. You know, I'm like, frick. So um, to see him, like, really own that and, and take that, like, with the Chiefs, he was sort of uh, put in there quite early, quite young, and, and probably had some good learnings from that. But it's just shown that the, the confidence that he has in himself and, and from being named in that team, I reckon it's just given him another another arm and a leg and, and the way he's playing and his future, man, it's 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 pretty bright. But yeah, to I suppose to be named the thing that's you're in a bunch of, you know, thirty, forty of the best players in New Zealand. You know, someone sees, you know, something in you that you can really give back and and then it just sort of 
just reaffirms and, and backs up what, what, what you've been doing, the work you've been doing and, and the belief you have in yourself. You're on an absolute hot streak coming into Japan 2019 Rugby World Cup. Confidence pretty high within the group. Confidence incredibly high within the country and probably globally uh, everyone's sort of backing the boys to be taking this out. Early stages of the cup, looking fantastic, playing some good code. How was the feeling within the team and how are you feeling personally? Just, I mean, yeah, to, to be there, to be named, man, that, like it was a special feeling. Again, I was with my family. Um, I think we cracked out the old uh, dirts. No. <laughs> <laughs> Get the Riccadonna! <laughs> <laughs> Just the humble Riccadonna. Um, but yeah, to, to be in, uh, in Japan um, with the All Blacks at a World Cup uh, was awesome. Our, our lead-up was really good. Um, you know, we sort of were implementing a few new things and, and we, were, we felt like we were building really well. Um, and you looked around that squad, you know, there was some there was some great talent. Well, you know, there is there yeah. was some great talent. Um and we were definitely confident to go in there and do the job. Obviously it didn't it didn't work out and uh the feeling um after that quarter final against Ireland, you know, yeah. felt like finally everything was coming to fruition. It, we were nailing like all the little moments and everything was coming together and then to go the next week and, and uh that semi final against England where they probably played, you know, the game of their lives. I've never seen them play that well. Mm, uh, you know, played like madmen. Um, and it was almost, I don't know, like that was their final. Uh, and, you know, obviously Springboks went on to win the World Cup. But the feeling after that game was, it was just like it wasn't real. Like it was this deflation and, uh, you know, everything we had done, all this hard work and, and all this preparation that we had done to, to try and get to the pinnacle of, of rugby. Um, like it was all of a sudden it wasn't there. You know, and as it was after the game, I remember just looking around and being like, like "Is this a dream? Like, is this real? Like, yeah. I, I feel like it shouldn't be over yet. I feel like we've still got so much more to give and and to bring that cup home." So, pretty yeah, pretty tough way to finish. I was sitting up in the stands there, and uh, and I could well, I was in the same. I was bewildered being there, but it was almost. At what point during the game did you go, or was there a point during the game where you're like? This is no longer ours. Like we we can't get back into this because I think there might have been five minutes to go. It's still seven points, wasn't it? Yeah, and I was like, mate, this the boys are still in this, and we're surrounded by English supporters that are crying. And I was like, we're not done until that final whistle. Yeah. Did you? What was it like in terms of the the team? Where, how was the feeling within the team? I I definitely reckon like we hadn't like it wasn't like a, oh like we've lost this. It was just like every little urge that we you know every little forward step we take, England were there and. And, you know, we'd make a break and, boom, they'd get a turnover. And it was just like one of those days where it's like you felt like you'd throw everything at the wall and it just nothing would happen. And, it, like, literally it wasn't until the final whistle was like, wait, is it is it actually over? Because it still felt like, you know, like we can win this. Like, And that's why after the game it was just this empty, like, deflated feeling that, like, it, it almost wasn't real. And how do you get back up? Because obviously the job's not done. You've still got another game to go. What's being said in the sheds and well, what's the mind that was, space? That was an impressive part, Jay, because the bronze final – you guys had all your family around you and you guys actually had sent out the message that it's actually more than a game, you know. It's, um, it is about your family and about getting around each other and, and just enjoying the moment. You guys went up to a next level just for that bronze final. Yeah, I, th I think obviously no one um, wants to be in that uh, bronze final. Yeah. Um, you want to be going for that the, the cup. Um, but the way the environment's set up and, and, and how much pride and passion we have in, in the jersey and... Um, you know, the leaders all stepped up and said, this is another chance for us to, to really put some pride in this jersey. Um, Any time we wear it, you know, we're going out to play hard and, and we're representing the people back home who have supported us and our families who have flown over here to support us and are back home supporting for us. So, you know, it was sort of like you lose that semi-final, we're hurt. We've still got this next next match that we can really, you know, we can put our all into it and, and finish on, I suppose, somewhat of a, you know, like a positive, like if, if we had just gone in there and, and caked it and, and lost that, you know, what what would that have shown for the, you know, the passion and pride in the jersey? Like it, it would have it would have been terrible. So we hurt for a couple of days and then it was, um, all right, we've got to pre prepare for this Wales game and um, we're going to finish this tournament, you know, on, on somewhat of a high and, and really represent who we are as people and um, represent the jersey because, you know, what they talk about is leaving a better legacy yeah. in the jersey and... Any, any chance you get to wear it, you never own it, you know. Any chance you get to wear it, you've got to play with, with your utmost pride and, and passion. So, um, 
yeah, for, for me personally, I was just like excited to get get back out there, one last chance to to play with, especially some legends of the game. Um, you know, a lot of guys leaving the All Black jersey after that game, and to see how they played and, and finished, and and to be out there on the field with them, uh, one last time was special. Um, and you know, credit to Japan, they ran an awesome World Cup. Um, so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so <laughs> much. Yeah. Lucky bugger. You know, I suppose that that was like um, the balance. Like we worked, we worked really hard. But we'd also have chances to enjoy what Japan had to offer, and and the people there were just beautiful. Um, everything was set up just awesome. What's the diet like? What's the diet plans? Is a bit left field, but you know, you're going over there. You have you want to enjoy yourself, but uh, the nutritionists, you know, whipping whipping you guys into shape over there as well, especially with a prop. Like, what did your skinnies have to be? Yeah, well, I mean, we like we'd have regular catch ups with our cat, our nutritionist. Um, you know, some of the bigger boys would, would be on a different plans or some of the leaner boys, <laughs> yeah. but. Um, we'd weigh in sort of two to three times a week, uh, get skinnies done. Um, for those that, that don't know, skinnies are sort of like you get pinched around all your little areas and the higher the number, the worse is. So a guy like Sonny, I think he's like, I think he might be. Negatives. Just, yeah, he's like, <laughs> he's like 30 something, which is ridiculous. He's like 100 and whatever, you know, 12 kgs, 30 skinnies. Like he's a specimen. Um, you know, some of the bigger boys, 110, 120 skinnies, you know, yeah. which is like on on the high scale, so um, two forty, just to give you an indication. <laughs> that's it can't be. That's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> that's impossible. You just made that up. I almost, <laughs> almost sneeze away from a heart attack. <laughs> but um, yeah, the the nutrition, like the food at, at the hotels, were all like Cat would make sure she, you know, go over the menus and make sure the food was really good. We could still go out and, and enjoy a ramen or or a little katsu curry sort of yeah. setup. But I mean, it's it's all in balance and and. I suppose the beauty of it, is, of it is, is the players understand what they're there for. You know, it's we're, we're going to enjoy Japan, we're going to enjoy the culture and everything, but we're also here to, to try and win a World Cup. So the discipline um, from all the players is pretty good. Yeah. Mm. The Rugby World Cup wraps up, uh, obviously not the way that the boys had intended on it going. You return home. Was there ever thought of, okay, cool, the year after a Rugby World Cup is always an interesting one and in, in professional professional code because there is a lot of movement there is a lot of a lot of people like you said that left the jersey behind and have gone overseas was there a contemplation for you at this point uh, maybe it's time for me to look overseas and then on top of that COVID hits in March after somebody decided to eat a bat and all of a sudden the whole entire <laughs> world has turned into turmoil uh, what is the what is the footy landscape because I mean it's never been like this and ne- I hope it never is like this again like what a tough year to be in footy full stop yeah I know the old bat soup that'll get you um mm. I suppose for me, like it was only my second year in, in the jersey, and I like I played every test last year, and uh, just having a taste um, of being in that environment, and you know, like I said, like this the whole journey to get to there is like you know finally be able to play in there. Um, I I didn't really feel like it was time for me to go just yet. Uh, I was joining in my rugby at the Chiefs, um, and my time with the ABs, and uh, still felt like I had a lot of rugby. Well, I still feel like I've got a lot, a lot of rugby to give. So I sort of thought, um, you know, I'll give it a few more years, and and just sort of go, go, go as we go. Um, re-sign with the Chiefs, so obviously head back down there. Uh, I tear my quad, very rare injury, um, the week of the first game against the Blues, and then I'm out, and then you start hearing whispers of, you know, this COVID-19, this coronavirus, and not taking it too seriously. You know, we've heard of like SARS and all these things in the past, and, you know, we'll be right. And then next thing you know, it starts creeping closer to New Zealand. New Zealand gets a case. Then rugby gets shut down, and it's sort of just like, wait, what the hell is just like, what's just happened? And I suppose not knowing, you know, like what what the competition is going to look like, what this virus is going to look like, people are dying. Um, it's for me, it's sort of put into perspective, like how how lucky and, and grateful for we are for the position we're in, because you know people around the world are they're getting locked down. There's you know there's these massive, I don't know, graves being you know, and and it sort of puts things into perspective where. You know, although we love to play rugby, it's like, man, life is, is more important than a game. But I suppose where it got to and, and coming back to level one, and um, I worked at the first Blues um, versus Hurricanes game at, at Eden Park with 43,000. And to, to see the life that it had sort of um, put back into rugby and how keen people were to get back out and, and support um, was awesome. And I think it, like that time away from rugby sort of made people appreciate rugby a bit more. So, well, because there is a there is a heavy saturation, and it's almost a, 
I guess it's there's so much code going on that it almost fatigues you. Like it, it must be it must be incredibly tough as a player because it's almost tough as a supporter because there's just that much code on. But to go back to lockdown, uh, did it give you a chance to possibly? Because I, sp- I suppose as soon as you became the family man, you just got cast into a whole new level of code, and you probably didn't get the amount of time that you would have liked to have spent uh, with the misses and the wee man. Uh, you appreciate that time. I saw that you picked up a couple of new skill sets over there as well. Yeah, 100%. Like, it, that World Cup was eight or nine weeks away from home. Um, family came over, but little ones stayed at home. So you sort of have this mad rush of, uh, you know, you're preparing for World Cup, or I'm preparing for Super Rugby, I'm, I'm in Super Rugby, I'm playing, to now I've got this, like, you know, undivided time where I can just spend with my family and and pick up a few little uh, <laughs> little side jobs. <laughs> yes, that's right. How did this? What was the choice in the sax? Because that'd have to be one of the most punishing instruments to have somebody learn in the house, especially through lockdown when stress levels are at a record high. The last thing you want is a bit of uh, is a bit of sensual sax in the background. Yeah, I, uh, I will say that uh, early on wasn't too bad, but my missus was definitely getting over it uh, going through lockdown. But saxes. It's always been like a sound that I've loved. Like when I hear the sax, um, it's just the I don't know that the instrument is just oh, it just blows me away, you know. So um, <laughs> who inspired you, Marge? Oh no, it was Lisa Simpson. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, there was Lisa. But um, you know, when I was in um, Sydney, I went to this bar, and uh, you know, there's a guy playing live sax over music. Old Jew Bell, you know, they had a few trackers um, with with the sax going over a bit of doof doof and. Um, I just the, whenever I hear the sound, I, I actually like it's it's something that I've I always think, man, I, I love that sound. So I thought, well, initially it was my injury, so I thought, oh well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll hire a sax and and I'll get into it. And then lockdown happened, and um, it was it was all almost like a, a good thing to get away from everything, you know. You, you're trying to learn, and sometimes I'd be <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd be trying to learn it, and uh, and then I I look at my miss and I'd be like, is this sound good? And, but then I'd just have no, because I'm focusing so much, I'd just be looking at all this. <laughs> and she'd just be looking at me like, what the, go to the other end, like, <laughs> go to the garage. And it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't sound the greatest, but uh, it was, yeah, I mean, I thought why not just pick up something and, and try something. And I don't, I never got any complaints from the neighbours, so maybe they always listened in and said, oh, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then they go, don't don't upset the All Blacks. Well, maybe that's what the kadoosh <laughs> Don't poke the beer, yeah. closing the doors. Like, it could have been worse. You could have uh, picked up the recorder. And that would have really absolutely... <laughs> oh, there's a lot of adults out there. Hey, but before we wrap things up, where to, uh, what is the plan? Obviously, we're coming to the, almost the conclusion of 2020. What is the plan for the rest of this year for you and, uh, and looking forward into 2021? Yeah, so, like, uh, you know, really happy and, and proud to be playing back with Auckland um, with my injury this year. Played hardly any rugby, so I played the first game against the Blues. Probably shouldn't have played it because I'd already torn my quad by then. Um, and then I played the last two games of Super Rugby. Probably shouldn't have played those because I was a bit <laughs> underdone. But uh, hey, you know, I just wanted some footy. Um, so just focusing on on having a, a really good minor ten cup uh, with Auckland. A great great bunch of lads. Um, some some young guys that you know I can try and influence and, and help them um, go to the next level, but also keep working on on my you know my my game, and then enjoy some family time. Um, and I'm back with the Chiefs next year. So um, whatever Super Rugby looks like um, next year, you know I'll just just rip into it and and I suppose let things take care of themselves. But make sure I'm I'm nailing what I can what I can now control what I can control. It's uh, fantastic. We've thoroughly enjoyed catching up with you. It's um it's always a pleasure to have the uh, Kenny G of the front row of a, a scrum uh, on, on the potty. And uh, yeah, much love to the whanau and, um, and good luck for the rest of this season and for uh, 2021. I look forward to catching up with you soon. Maybe with you sitting on this side of the microphone, maybe running things. If you, I mean, you've got a skill for it, so maybe it's, a, some, it's time to bring you into the fold. Yeah, there's some good lighting. <laughs> good lighting. There's a lot of space to light up. It's like, it's like yeah, they might it. need to get another light there and there. Just it's a big head, solar system sort of going on. This is a solar system. We've got Mars, the red planet over here. What am I? I must be Jupiter. Am I? What's the biggest one? <laughs> oh, oh, cheers, Gusty. Lovely. Cheers, lads. Thanks for having me.